welcome to the Big 12. Welcome to Go Big 12 or Go Home. I'm Brandon Shanahan here with Drew Russell. Lots of great football around the country, specifically around the Big 12, as that's what, what we're focused on here today. Fantastic stuff. Um, some rivalry games. The Big 12, I think, really did a good job of scheduling quality, but also kind of winnable non-conference games as far as going against other Power 5 opponents goes. And then even kind of looking at, at the new the new Big 12 teams coming into to the season um, next year, they also had a, had a good slate as well. And we'll, we'll certainly dive into all of that. But Drew Russell, how's it going? How'd your weekend go? Hey, it was a great weekend of football. A lot of terrific games. For me personally, uh, it was not easy at times. I had some beloved teams go down, not just in the collegiate level, but at the NFL level as well. So, hey, not perfect, but... Another week is just around the corner, and so I say nothing but wins here on out. Yeah, you know, I uh, I was kind of thinking about it, like as as a Nebraska fan, with as crushing as that loss was to Colorado, I was just so drained before the Broncos even kicked off. I'm like, it's I, I'm just along for the ride at this point. Like, there's no, there's no, the, the, there's no lower to go as far as just pure emotion goes. Um, and then that proved to be true. I was just numb throughout that whole um, Sean Payton experience. They fixed Russell Wilson, but you know now now we don't have a kicker. It is what. It okay, is. You just, I mean you only lost to uh, Jimmy Garoppolo at home, who did go to the Super Bowl. So let's give credit there. And hey, for my Vikings, we only lost to Baker Mayfield at home. So absolutely. It is what it is. I mean, if if you're gonna lose a game week one, was that in Minneapolis? I was in Minneapolis. Yeah, it, at home, both teams. Um, you, you, you at least you know kind of shake your head to the Mount Rushmore quality quarterbacks that. That were able to to outduel them, outstanding efforts on both ends. There's truly some all time quarterback play going on there. That's why uh, that's why we love our uh, teams as we do. In fact, the Broncos and Vikings uh, play each other this year, Brandon. So look out uh, if those trends keep up, we could get some maybe cheap tickets coming in November. Just uh, you know, some next level thinking right there. There you go. You see, that's that's what we root for. We root for bad football so we can afford to go to these games. I respect it. But that's, uh, it, yeah. that's it, though. Collegiately uh, as well, pretty interesting weekend. And, you know, as we look at kind of the Big 12 as a whole, boy, what a weekend in general. Some major wins for the conference, some near close losses on a couple of upset attempts that just fall short. And uh, kind of a couple of uh, puzzlers as well that you throw in there in terms of performance. So kind of a whole mixed bag this weekend. And considering the level of competition went up, I feel like we kind of got a better idea of where maybe some of these teams might head this year. Of course. And I feel like a lot of, you know, there's a lot of reaction to how the conference performed last week. And that's the kind of narrative that's hard to shake, but I definitely feel like a lot of teams maybe didn't look so great last week, bounce back and so on and so forth. But one team that looked good last week and seemed to, you know, keep that momentum rolling and probably the biggest game in, in college football Texas beats uh, Alabama 34-24. Now, I was at the TCU game while this game was unfolding live, so I had to watch it on replay. So can't quite get the same kind of anticipation and, and game flow through there. But 10-point win in Tuscaloosa for the Longhorns. And Drew, it didn't even really feel all that close. It didn't, no. I, I mean, Texas on the field looked better than Alabama. Uh, they had better quarterback play. They're both the line play on the offensive and defensive lines, I thought favored Texas. Receivers looked better. And shoot, even the coaching was able to compete against arguably the GOAT of all time in Nick Saban. 
they were complete on Saturday. And, you know, there's going to be that ugly term of, you know, is Texas and, you know, however you want to put that, it, uh, whether there starts with B and ends with ACK. But, you know, it, it, what's interesting about this team is, you know, Quinn Ewers was terrific. He got hurt last year. They competed well with Alabama at home last year. And if that injury doesn't happen, who knows? But this team, look, they get down late in the third quarter, and then they score two touchdowns quickly uh, to start that fourth quarter and really pull themselves away. Alabama, great crowd. I mean, you know, Bryant-Denny Stadium usually, I feel, gets kind of bored, and I think they've seen so much winning throughout the years that it's almost more of just like going to a Broadway play that they just kind of polite, you know, applause as their team wins by 50 it was loud. I mean, there was legitimate juice in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night, and Texas was able to handle it well. And it's a great win for Texas, a statement win that kind of shows that, hey, we're ready to get into the SEC next year. Uh, but they're trying to make a big show with the Big 12 in their final year in this conference. And uh, I had doubts about them going into the preseason. And give credit where it's due. They were able to go in there and beat – a uh, power, probably the best college football program in the last 15 to 20 years. Great points there. Yeah, I, I'm i a big I, – I got to see it. I got to see everything come together. And that's why I was skittish on Florida State coming into the season. I was skittish on Texas coming in. Not because I didn't think that they had great talent and, and, and not because I didn't think that their coaches were – I guess I had my doubts about Norvell and, and Florida State. I actually, in another show, I did call them East Texas. I'm like, we want them to be back so bad, but but they're not actually back. I was wrong on both of those fronts, by the way. But this Texas team, I think this is a, such a great opportunity for us to see what the ceiling of this Steve Sharkeesian, you know, era can look like for, for the Longhorns because it seems like on paper he's been building this program for this year and he's not going to get too many other opportunities like this, um, you got 17 starters back total, 10 on offense. So they miss B. John Robinson, but every other offensive starter back, quarterback, offensive line, wide receiver cores back. And then that, that defense continues to kind of get into a rhythm. And I mean, I, I know they lose Bryce Young, but holding Alabama to, to three touchdowns isn't nothing. And no, it's, it, it's not. Uh, and you know, it's interesting, too, that, I mean, they had five team sacks. They had nine tackles for loss. Anthony Hill Jr., too. Uh, I was really blown away uh, just on his defensive side. A couple sacks, a uh, couple tackles for loss as well. He was really special. Again, these are a bunch of four- and five-star guys that, on paper, just have underperformed the last however many years. And they haven't. Uh, give Steve Sarkeesian a lot of credit. He had a very tough first year at Texas. I didn't know if he was going to make it after one year. Uh, they were pretty fed up, but they seem to have ride the ship. Um, you know, get Quinn Ewers kind of comfortable uh, after his one-year hiatus at Ohio State and get him going and on the same page. I, I hate saying it, but give him credit. You're right. And I mean, we, 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 we talk about so much with Texas that it, it's never been a talent issue, but it's been uh, can you kind of get everybody on the same page, get this talent to gel, and uh, then can you put them in positions to, to do what they do best? And I think certainly significantly better than the previous two regimes with Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, Sark has been able to do that tenfold. And I think he's really got these players bought into 
here's it's us versus us you know you can put it us in front of alabama you can put us in front of um rights you can put us in front of big 12 legend kansas jayhawks who they never seem to get past comfortably it doesn't matter but if we just do what, what we got to do and, and it's a we thing that, that, that i see with this team and i think in the previous regimes i've seen a lot of i with this team and a lot of great individuals a lot of a lot of stars on that field kind of pretty similar to what we're currently seeing with texas a&m i mean the talent's there with texas a&m the mm-hmm. talent has been there with texas but it's a whole nother thing to to, to get all that to kind of gel together and, and and you see this team especially even early on in the season just so gelled and so focused and so so much continuity that it really just starts to hum and then i the question that everybody's asked i, I got a copy of um Dallas Morning News today, of course, on the front page of the sports section is, is Texas back question mark. Everybody's going to be talking about that specific question. Uh, and yeah, probably. I mean, we got to see it, but it's certainly, you know, this is the, the, the kind of win that would indicate that Texas is back to to competing on, on the highest level of college football. I just want to say that you said it, the Dallas Morning News said it. I did not say it yet. I did not say that they're back. So for some reason... They start tripping up in uh, October, November. I didn't say it yet. I, I mean, credit. They had a great week last week. Great week. And when you look at their schedule, it certainly seems like that they got the, the hardest hurdle out of the way. Now, of course, it it does seem very much on brand for, for Texas to stumble. And, and the, the Big 12, is, as we kind of talk about as we take a step back here for the entire conference, a lot – not too many bad teams in that conference. Like we talk about, you know, uh, of course, Texas and Oklahoma being the blue blood brands and uh, Kansas state defending big 12 champions. TCU made the playoff last year, but even going up and down the, the this, the, this conference here and the, the, the new schools kind of fogged that up a, a little bit more than last year, but last year TCU and a top end just, show that this conference is so deep and so thorough mm-hmm. that it's you really do have to bring it every single week here for Texas to go to accomplish everything that they're certainly yep. on pace to, to to get started with. Yeah, no, and they're you know they'll finish out their non-conference schedule uh at home against Wyoming this upcoming week. And hey, that's no cakewalk either. I mean week one they take on Rice, they're able to win and Rice this last week beats up another big 12 team in Houston that uh, you take a look at Wyoming who was able to beat Texas tech in week one. So, Hey, they've navigated through two interesting games so far. And, and this week will be interesting too. And how focused they stay. Can they lay off of all the kind of Kool-Aid and praise um, that they're getting right now. And that's never easy for a college kid. Uh, to lay off that because shoot some of those guys feel like they're going to be on top of the world they probably celebrated pretty well rightfully so when they got back to Austin now can they refocus and keep playing good quality football and how committed can they stay throughout the season and that's certainly my biggest takeaway of what's happened since the the, the clock strike struck zero like I remember after that uh, I think it was a Sugar Bowl win against Georgia Sam Ellinger going out of his way to, to declare Texas back. I mean, that still ma- ma- makes the rounds whenever they get upset. But Quinn Ewers talking with Holly Rowe after the game, very composed, very, mm-hmm. this was a great win. We did everything that we needed to, and this is a special moment. Uh, and we're happy to, to, to show what 
what we are and, and what we can do. But, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's still, you know, early September, which I think is is certainly um, indicative that the culture is a lot different than, than it's been in past regimes. For sure. And I think it'll be interesting going forward. Again, that leadership up at the top has to be top notch. It seems at least in public and I'm sure privately as well, that it seems to be all the ducks are in the row in house and everybody's staying focused, but college football is wild, Brandon and Texas getting all the love this week. But for all we know in a couple of weeks, we're like, man, why were we hyping that up? That's the beauty of this sport. Incredible. And I think if there is a, I think it's also so important for Texas and Oklahoma um, but Texas is already looking like they have the better opportunity to do so. It's just to build some momentum going into to the SEC because I think kind of coming into to this year and when the whole Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC got announced, it was like, okay, that's cute. You guys have played in the Big 12. Oklahoma's won the Big 12 a handful of times. They've kind of run the conference as of late. But Texas, if you can't win the, the, the Big 12 in, what, 10 years, one conference title appearance, um, can you compete in the SEC? Can you go to Alabama and come up with a win? So I think this is a huge step for that and building momentum because I, I I got to imagine if they had gotten blown out in that game, it would be really hard for, for Sark to kind of sit with, with these recruits and, and transfers and be like, hey, we're we're close to competing at, at the best conference in college football. And then kind of seeing, well, I saw you compete against those guys last year. You kind of stunk it, and now and now you lost your conference championship to Kansas State or Texas Tech or however that shapes up. You can't even win a conference with, you know, with with, with Baylor running mm-hmm. things at Baylor Oklahoma State in the mm-hmm. title game. You know that, that that's hard to kind of rebuild on the spot. And we, we saw Texas A and M do that when they went to the SEC. Granted, they kind of fell ass backwards into Johnny Football, and once you have Johnny Football, everything is a lot easier. <laughs> And, but that's the kind of momentum that I I think is going to be so important for them going forward. Yeah. And I think final point before we go on to other games is you're dead right. I I mean, when Texas and Oklahoma made the announcement on leaving the GOAT conference a couple of years ago, I, I mean, everybody thought they couldn't compete. And Texas was horrible in 2021. I, I remember they came up to Ames and Iowa State beat them by 25 uh november night just killed them and you know texas like their video is viral after the game like their offensive line coach just screaming at their guys saying do you want to even be here and you know these guys and like their guys were videotaping him and making fun of them and people were like why would you make fun of that this seems to be the only guy that cares and give them credit it seems at least right now less than two years later they seem like they're ready to go to the SEC and compete. And even Wilder, they might actually be able to do some decent stuff there because SEC is having a very difficult start to this year in terms of Power 5 games. They're 3-6 and six against the Power 5 this year, which is a pretty remarkable statistic considering usually, I mean, it's top-heavy, but usually even their mid-tier teams usually will win some games, so been kind of interesting to see how that's panned out so far. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would like to be known as a, as anti SEC propaganda pusher, and this is fall, fall falling right into the narrative that I talk about because I think they get get away with having a fourth non conference game. Now, granted, some teams like Georgia playing Georgia Tech and 
uh, South Carolina playing Clemson kind of use that extra game for, you know, rivalry games and stuff like that. And even Alabama as of late, you know, scheduling a home and home with Texas is definitely not nothing. Uh, but a lot of teams, you, you, you get an easy win there. And then all of a sudden you get in the conference play 4-0. You get a tune-up game in November. And it's it, it's a lot easier to build these great resumes that outside of Georgia and Alabama, who, you know, obviously are, you know, elite football programs on a, on a national level, but like the, the Ole Miss and Mississippi State tier and uh, the Tennessee tier, you, you kind of get away with some some mm -hmm. mediocre play that gets elevated because if you win two conference games, you're still going to a bowl game Yeah, in that conference if you can wrap up the non-conference schedule. And I think this year and, and now with the, the, the playoff and a little bit more flexibility um, in that sense, Teams are getting more aggressive, and I think it's kind of showing that these conferences aren't that far apart. And, I mean, we're not talking, you know, obviously Texas and Alabama, the best in the SEC, seemingly the best in the in the, in the the Big 12. You know, those, those two heavyweights going at it. But also Mississippi State struggled mm -hmm. um, against, uh, I think it was Washington State. Some Pac oh, they played, Arizona. they played Arizona. Arizona, that's right. And Arizona's not a very good Pac-12 team either. Yeah. Um, Future conference yeah. member, though, so we're going to show future some love. Member. They competed. <laughs> Absolutely. They competed. The, the future is right for Arizona this year. <laughs> they, they, they got some work to do. Um, Ole Miss and, and Tulane. Tulane's a good team, but they're not even a Power 5 team, and, and they were going back and forth for a while in, in New Orleans. And it, you're just not seeing the, the SEC dominance that they would push. And I will always – the big piece of propaganda I'm pushing this year is that SEC defenses aren't even that good. They just have stinky quarterbacks. And so they get elevated by, like I said, four non-conference games, three to four bad quarterbacks. And then, you know, you get quarterback duels like Will Levis and Anthony Richardson where not a single quarterback can throw for 225 yards. Oh, ridiculous how any of those guys got drafted in the in the first two rounds, but it is what it is. But when, when you play quarterbacks like that in your conference, as opposed to Caleb Williams and Bo Nix and Shitter Sanders and Cam Rising and you know DTR last year, uh, you know it's a it's a tough world. So I that, that's what I'm pushing. But the, the Big Twelve do, doing a good job showing their own here as we kind of get into to the non conference, you know, yeah. kind of the bigger games in that slate. Yeah. Well, looking at the like rest of the Big 12 kind of slate across week two, what are, you know, as we continue on, like what are things that have stood out to you or other games that let's get into? Because there were some interesting results throughout the week. I think the two that actually stood out to me um, that were actually near misses in terms of ranked opponents with Utah coming to town against Baylor. Baylor outplays them for the majority of the game, but can't find a way to finish it at the end. And Texas Tech held their own against Oregon, a really, really entertaining football game, but also fell short and kind of two missed opportunities for the conference in my, obviously, for them to kind of build a resume and just make it stronger as a whole. But uh, those were two games that stood out to me. We'll dig into those more. But what are others that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, so those are the the, the two that, that really caught my eye with, with Utah and Baylor because Utah looked so good in week one and then Baylor looked so bad in, in, in week two. I was kind of expecting Utah to, to kind of run away with it pretty quickly. I mean, even without Cam Rising. But they – and I, I don't think the Big 12 is, is kind of known for having that elite home field advantage that, like, the SEC is and 
you know, like Florida State and Clemson, kind of how their stadiums bring. Oh, Oklahoma and Texas are a different breed, but like you just look at like stadium capacities, and they're just not up there. Like they're really kind of, at, you know, you had Oklahoma State, Iowa State, all in that mid sixties, right, right along with Iowa, and their seventh best uh, stadium in the in the Big mm. Ten. I'm um, kind of right around that tier, but I think that they showed that. I mean, and you hit on it last week quite a bit. Big Twelve fans are crazy. And they love their college football. And even though, you know, McLean Stadium in in, in Waco only holds like fifty five thousand people, they'll get after you. And then yeah. Lubbock at night, well, forget about it. They're they're not letting you out with a win easy. And I think you know when we talked about those games last week, we talked about both of those teams are going to be really desperate in a way that, you know, they probably might not have been had they picked up those wins against Wyoming and and Texas State the, the week before. So I think that that added. Uh, a little bit of fire and we got to see a little bit more grit out of them, which I'm even in losing efforts. I'm impressed by another game that kind of caught my eye as far as, you know, on the, on the less impressive side, what was certainly Oklahoma state and Arizona state. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I gave Oklahoma state the edge there, just given Mike Dundee, the, the, the benefit of the doubt, but man, if they can't get any more out of their quarterbacks, they're, they're in real trouble. They might be towards, towards the bottom of the of the conference as a whole. I'd agree with that. Uh, and they'll be interesting. We definitely have touched on it in previous episodes, too, that Oklahoma State usually has good signal callers. They usually have very capable quarterbacks that are handling the offense. They usually have explosive playmakers. They got the playmakers. I think it is going to be that consistency that's so key for them. Um, you know, you and you'd mentioned just quarterback play as a whole, just in college football, it's you know, there are some obvious like cases against this trend, but it's been semi-average, I feel, just as a whole product through two weeks. Um scoring is still high, but just based on the games I've watched, it seems there's more average to below average QB play at that power five level than maybe in previous years. And there's still a lot of season to go, offenses to learn, but it doesn't seem as pretty. And, and I'll, you know, an example, you know, Utah Baylor was fascinating to me because Baylor had a 10 point lead at home. They were playing great football, doing a lot of positive stuff, and they couldn't find a way. Um, Utah, I mean, their defense is nasty. They got great players. They also had a backup QB and they didn't play particularly well on Saturday. And, you know, Baylor couldn't find a way to get done. And I will say, you know, and I don't know if you saw that end of the game, that little, give them credit. They were able to go down the length of field in like 15 seconds, give themselves a shot at a little heave to the end zone. And frankly, that was pass interference. I couldn't believe they didn't throw a flag. Baylor fans had every right to be furious. That was a clear as day in the kept the flag in the pocket. Referee didn't want to make that call, but um, Baylor had chances. I felt before the game, turnovers didn't help. And I think a missed opportunity for them to write kind of kind of a tough start to their season and kind of get it back on track. Instead, they're 0-2 uh, in their book. Yeah, if I was a Baylor fan, I'd be furious. And I'm typically like pro let the guys play. And especially on those Hail Mary kind of situations, there's a whole lot of, you know, contact there. But that one was just, he was all over him. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I get that you don't want to, you don't want 
you know, your your flag to be the the decider in, in in some of these games down the stretch. But man, that's a miss. And if I was a Baylor fan, I'd be furious. Yeah, no, and they, and rightfully so. I mean, to get that opportunity at the end of the game, and you know, the way that Utah scored the touchdown before, where Baylor pretty much just let them into the end zone. 17 seconds left you're thinking it's over they find a way to get it down to the utah 22 and, and keetron jackson i mean he just got whacked he got whacked in the corner of the end zone they should get that ball right on the goal line give him a shot so it's a tough ending for baylor and they played a lot better than i thought they were i really thought utah uh, was going to be stronger uh and give them credit to win on the road pretty good environment in waco um you know you kind of tip the cap uh where it's due, but tough for Baylor to start 0-2. And then, hey, you go down over to West Texas. I mean, Texas Tech, I thought, played a lot better on Saturday uh, compared to their week one game against Wyoming. At least they looked like they wanted to be there. Uh, crowd was great. Um, look, they're down one point late in the game, and pick six interception pretty much seals the deal. And, you know, those minor plays – you know, have been kind of a difference for this team so far this year. And, you know, start the season, preseason ranked top 25, and now they're 0-2 for the first time, what, since 1990. So, I mean, a very tough start for Texas Tech. Both you and I are pretty high on the Joey McGuire train coming into the season. And now they've got to find a way to turn that ship around before it goes uh, seaside. I think that's it. It did such a great job, and and I, I'm giving them a lot more credit in, in losing efforts because I think so highly of Utah and Oregon. I think they're very comfortably in like that second tier of of college football where they if the cards go their way, they could absolutely be a college football playoff team. I, I think that uh, of the both of them, obviously Utah would, would probably need Cam Rising to come back here pretty quickly before um, you, you know Pac-12 play gets underway. And even looking at kind of where they were at mentally coming into this game, big win against Florida, um, trying to avenge a loss from last year. You don't have your your uh, your super senior quarterback and Cam Rising leading the way. Um, and then you kind of cruise through that game, and you look at at Baylor, who just got run off the field by Texas State, and you think, well, if we could take care of Florida, you know. So I, I got to imagine a lot of that was them not coming in as dialed in as – Baylor is like, well, 0-2 looks really bad for us. And, of course, you know, Utah's a good team, and, and losing yeah. to them is not, not the end of the world. But 0-2 is not a good place to be for sure. Right. And if they don't lose kind of that buy-in win week one, I don't think we really think too much of it in terms of, hey, you know what? They're 1-1. One one. They're fine. They competed well against a team that's won the Pac-12 title for the last two years and has a good shot at winning it for a third straight year. No shame in losing. You're dead right, Brandon, and to both of those teams. But since both had very disappointing week one results, and since both games were at home in front of pretty energetic fan bases, and they couldn't find a way to come up with the upset, um, you know, unfortunately for both those teams, whether you like it or not, that panic button is going to be hit early on the season. And, Kind of their backs are against the wall as they go into week three. You know, and another game that, that really caught my eye as far as, you know, ability to bounce back. And, and this one's a little bit closer to me because I was at the game, but, but TCU over Nickel State. Mm-hmm. 
it seemed like they, they really kind of fine-tuned some of the things that, that went wrong in their, their first week against Colorado. And particularly on the defensive side of, of, of the ball, that the offense looked a little bit a little bit sloppy and a little bit not, not not as dialed in as they did the week before, where they were seemingly kind of going up and down the field against the Buffaloes, but the the defense against TCU really kind of bat down the, the hatches. And in a game where you, you're looking at the schedule and you know, okay, well, this is going to be the opportunity to really get right and to, to get the, the ship back aboard. Um, and I think that they did just that. I thought Chandler Morris looked really efficient. You know, I, I think that there's obviously a lot of like big game talent there. Um, really used his legs a, a lot more this week than last week, but also very efficient, very secure with the football. And of course, it, it, it's Nickel State, so you kind of have to take everything with, with the grain of salt a little bit. But I think that they looked really good as well, as far as like bouncing back from a rough week one performance to at least get some momentum going into week three here. And as TCU plays Houston this week, now they get into conference play. And so, you know, things don't get uh, don't get quite easier for them than Nickel State here. Break down Chandler Morris. What did you see from him from the QB position? So, first of all, the, the, I'm very high on on Chandler Morris as a talent, and and I always bring up the fact that you know Sonny Dykes comes into this job. It's the biggest opportunity that that he's gotten in his long football career. Power Five football. TCU's been down and out. He needs to make hay while the sun's out and make it quick. Because um, TCU fans were not thrilled that he was, you know, you know, calling the shots after what Gary Patterson did for that the whole football program over his tenure there, and so the, there was a lot of pressure. And he saw him and Max Duggan in, the, in practice every single day. And this is why I always think it's a lazy take. To just say, oh, well, you got to bench that quarterback. He saw these guys every single day and thought Chandler Morris is going to be my best opportunity to win. It's going to be my best opportunity to build momentum here as a football program. And then, of course, you know, Chandler Morris goes down and Max has an all-time caliber football season, finishes runner-up in the Heisman, leads him to a national championship game. That is what it is. But there was a moment after all the dust has settled on the offseason where he thought Chandler Morris is talented enough to get us where we need to go. And then I think that he, in, in some of his previous – previous uh, playing time experiences and early on in Colorado, you don't really see a whole lot of poise and confidence with him that I think you definitely saw plenty of with Max Duggan. So it's a little bit jarring to see those two in the same uniform. But like I said, Saturday night, he stood in the pocket, read the field well, um, was very, very efficient with the football, no turnovers, and another thing that caught me off guard was his ability to use his legs. He was not only the, the leading passer, of course, but also the leading rusher of the whole team. And they have talented backs as well. And I think that that's a huge dimension that he can add. Not going to be the most athletic quarterback in the Big 12, but if that can buy you an extra first down, keep the, the, the chains moving, that's going to be huge. And I saw a post-game um, quote from him saying that he – felt stuck in the pocket against Colorado and and he worked all week as far as just taking a breath relaxing playing football because he, he was great here in high school in, in Dallas he went to Highland Park here storied football program and he lit it up there of course he, you know football runs in his blood uh, Arkansas coaching legend Chad Boris brought him up here 
but overall, uh, you, you just hope to see him grow and, and develop here in, in a way that that's that's sustainable. He's going to make big plays. He's got a big arm. He's got a quick twitch, uh, like kind of like a Johnny Manziel, where he's not straight line speed, but he can he he can bounce around it and, and be hard to to bring down. And I thought that he showed all of that against Nickel State, where it really would have been easy to to kind of put the pressure on himself. You know, it's Nickel State. You want to make big plays. You want to kind of take advantage of the talent gap there. But I think he did a really good job as far as settling into it, reading the field. If nothing's there, let's take off. Let's buy some more yards. Let's, you know, sa- uh-huh. save this play for another day. You almost you almost saw a death live on this stream right here, Brandon, when you said Arkansas coaching legend. Absolutely. Chad Morris. I, I – <laughs> I literally choked. I did. I turned away for just a minute. I that I don't ever want to hear those words. I'll tell you what. I might do just a straight walk. I might take the headset off and say I'm not doing the show tonight. You might you might just see an empty screen on this side. You can just talk to yourself. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I feel a little bit harsh. I you know I but we're talking about his son. I, I feel hey, like no, I, and I have respect for his son. He's played really well through two weeks, and he'll have an interesting kind of game in in week three when they're at Houston. Um, but yeah, they'll be, I think, see how they can rebuild after uh, that week one loss to Colorado, which, hey, Colorado's the biggest story in college football right now. And we won't talk a lot about that game as you can go listen to another iconic podcast through this network. I'm sure that is fully broken down, isn't it, Brandon? I It'll be a depressing listen for sure. <laughs> I, we lost our hangover episode on on Sunday, and it was just like it's it's awful. They might not win a game this year, but yeah, Colorado's electric. Got to give credit where credits due. Yeah, yeah. You know, Brandon, I, I've had to avoid the topic for uh, the majority of this show, uh, as much as I don't want to acknowledge that there was a college football game here in the state of Iowa this last weekend. Uh, there was um, Drake football played. Um, yeah, started Northern Bulldog. Iowa. You know, uh, but some great NAIA football around the state. But for the majority of the people, they might have been watching the game called the Cyhawk game. And um, disappointing loss for Iowa State, 20-13 uh, to 13 against that team out east in Iowa. A lot to take away from it for me personally. Uh, defense was great. Uh, that's what hurts. And, and not that Iowa's offense is necessarily scaring anybody right now. And, hey, I'm pulling for Brian Ferentz to find a way to get to that What's he got to get about 300, about 325 points. They got to make a bowl game. They got to get seven wins, 25 a game, defensive touchdowns count. So we're happy for him. Um, do you know Sicko's committee? Brandon, do you, you do know the Sicko's? I love the Sicko's. They, um, I'm a big fan personally of the show with the Price is Right. One of my favorite shows of all time. And so they have this thing called Cliffhanger where, you know, this, this Cliff guy kind of, they guess prices and this guy goes up and, he has too much. He goes over the cliff. They built a Brian Ferentz uh, cliffhanger uh, this year, and so it makes the music as he as he average puts up his twenty points a game. And uh, he's not there yet. Uh, Brian Ferentz might have uh, some job issues, but uh, for Iowa State uh, offensively, they were not didn't get it done. Special teams, field goal block, and pretty ugly. I mean, for Matt Campbell, little surprised as well after the game to hear him. Um, you know, make a comment that he felt that was the best game they've played in that series against Iowa under his tenure, which 
to each their own. I, I just fully disagreed with that. I, I've seen them play a little better in other games. Um, it was a tough loss. Uh, and for Iowa State, after an encouraging week one win, I think it was a winnable game on Saturday, and they just could not find a way to get it done. And, and kudos to Iowa's defense. It really is a top-notch unit. I will never rip them. They, they are quality. I'll rip them a little bit. I mean, they played Utah State and Iowa State. All right. It is what it is. They're good. Don't get me wrong. Are they so good that that's a top 25 team in the country? With Oh, no. I didn't, I didn't know. That offense drags them down. Uh, but I'll, I'll give credit to their defense. And, shoot, I don't even think their special teams is anything great. But anytime they play Iowa State, they look incredible. So Funny I, I how that works. It. Huh? It, it's absolutely incredible. But, you know. I guess special teams has never been an issue. So, yeah, you got that for me. Look at that beautiful cliff. Here we go. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's not going very fast. I'm telling isn't that isn't that iconic? <laughs> I, I just howled when I when I saw that. Uh, so, I just um, you know, to Brian, I'm I'm pulling for you, buddy. Go get your cash, dude. I mean, really the 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 goal has got to be he <laughs> finds a way to get to 326. Oh, that's like perfect, just enough right? to, to keep this job. Obviously, not you know good by any stretch of the imagination. But I want, yeah. hey, I want Iowa to make a bowl. I want him to go seven and six. Three twenty-seven. Hey, no, I got to see this keep going. This is like it's such good entertainment. Iowa's winning, and their fans don't care because they're so ticked off at this Brian Ferentz experiment. Like they they can't take it anymore, and since you know his dad happens to be the head coach, and he's not going to do diddly, he's not going to do anything. So like, why? So I just find that really interesting. But at the same time, I mean, look, they found a way to win, and for Iowa State, I mean, I was a little surprised too. I mean, you know, and granted, it's Twitter, granted, it's message boards. These are people hiding behind screens, but a lot of hate towards Matt Campbell. Uh, I yeah. was a little surprised. Uh, you know, I saw a couple fire him and. I, I'm not even remotely going to go there, but it does show how absurd this sport is that this guy was on top of the earth two, two and a half years ago and arguably the hottest name or coaching commodity. That's just even in college. I mean, NFL, he was drawing a decent amount of interest mm-hmm. and a couple of years later, and now he is just, you know, trying to find a way and they've got a little sneaky tough game next week against Ohio, but you know, they need to find some weapons for Rocco Bright. He had a bad pick six, but I thought he hung in there considering the youth of him. Defense will keep him in games, but even the kicking's better this year on special teams. But Iowa State's got uh, – they're going to have to find a way. I think there's still a team that could potentially make a bowl game, but they're going to have to get creative, uh, and they're going to have to win next week if they want to see that path. So let me ask you this, because it, it is a very interesting turn of events, you know, with that Brock Purdy, Brees Hall team just a couple of years ago. It, it seemed like he was the, the, the guy who was going to get poached. You know, I, I, yeah. I even heard a couple of Nebraska fans throw his name out there at the beginning of their coaching search last year. Um, and now all of a sudden I heard, yeah, I saw the same message boards that you did. I heard someone call him Soup Man. Um, <laughs> so I, I yeah. were fans frustrated. And so what does it have to look like for them to to make a move because i i got to imagine he he is a good coach i think he's yeah. proven that so i and as a nebraska fan it's it, it's a very cautionary tale if if you're gonna fire a good coach you you got to oh. have a plan to go get a great coach 
Yeah, well, and I think from my, like Iowa State's perspective, it'd be idiotic. Uh, it, let's say they, you know, last year was a disappointing year. They finished bottom of the Big 12. And, you know, no one, I wasn't even phased by it. He has done so, you know, Campbell's done so much good work at Iowa State that I view that as a place that you can have a couple bad seasons, whether it's fair or not, because the our history dictates that's just how it is, that we're traditionally not a good school. That said, he has risen that level of expectation. That's a testament to him. And look, if they have another season where they underperform, like, I can't believe I'm saying this. I mean, next year, they, they'd be crazy. Not this year, no way. But next year, there will be. I think that seat will heat up a little bit just because, you know, back-to-back losing seasons anywhere is not going to be necessarily a fun situation. You could be at Vanderbilt. Um, it's not a fun situation. Kansas, uh, it's not a fun deal. So, you know, for those Iowa State fans, you know, I tell them, you know, right now, go jump in a lake, get a swim in, relax, you know, whatever. Um, but I'm not blind to it either. Like, you know, I wasn't even necessarily mad that they lost or, or I mean, I was, I was more disappointed in his comments afterward about kind of defending certain yeah. things. And I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, just yeah. kind of man up and say, we didn't get it done. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. No one would have been phased with to say, well, this is the best we played in the Seahawk game. Uh, no, it isn't. You guys have looked a lot better. Like, shoot, 2019 when two guys run into each other on a punt return that cost us a game in Jack Trice, they played well that game. That was the yeah. worst part about that one. They played really well. Um, shoot, I mean, last year they won. It wasn't pretty, but they did yeah. win in Kinnick. Like, that to me is a little more impressive. They've gone to OT with them a couple times. They were way more competitive in those games. They didn't even... They weren't competitive for the majority of the afternoon. And the fact that it was only a one-score game, to me, was a little bit of a miracle. So those are the type of comments that can get you in trouble as a coach. And and um, he might fully believe it, but look, he rightfully was called out on it by a few people in the press. And obviously the message boards had a little more even, uh, a little more uh, vocal in terms of how they felt. And I'm right there with you. It's... it. At this stage in, in, in his tenure at Iowa State, it feels bad to kind of climb, take these moral victories. And you're right. Last year, give him a pass. He lost, you know, Iowa State's all-time leading passer in Brock Purdy. Lost a great running back in, in Brees Hall. Lost a lot of great talents. I mean, my gosh. Uh, so, obviously, rebuilding that team isn't easy, especially with, with, you know, not great recruiting ties in, in Iowa state two years, probably. And especially with having to navigate all the, the off season commotion as well. I, I think that probably gives him a pass, but I, I do think he's got to perform not the worst in the conference, especially with, with, with these newer schools like Houston and West Virginia struggling and huge, uh, I already said Houston. That's how bad Houston is. You got to outplay Houston. Got to. <laughs> got to. Yeah, they, but, are they the new Kansas? They, they might be. They could be, and, yeah. And, but certainly lots to talk about with Houston coming up. But, man, um, so the bar is pretty low. 
Like, I don't think he needs to get to a bowl game, but like, like I said, if he does miss a bowl game, doesn't you know get more than than three or four wins on, on the season, that's he's going to be pretty warm next year. And I, I gotta mm-hmm. I gotta hope that Iowa State has a plan to kind of figure out who, what, what, what kind of candidate are they looking for? And yeah, and I'm not going to go there yet. Uh, I I think we find a way to get it, you know, figured out whether that's hopefully this year or next year. Um, and I, you know, or, you know, Jamie Pollard, the AD, I think is going to have a pretty long leash as well. They seem to have a pretty good working relationship. So, you know, for some reason, I would say it's a losing season this year. You know, God forbid on that. God forbid they were to do it again next year. I don't think he'd leave yet. I think they would let Coach Campbell continue to try to figure it out. You know, if you had like four straight or five straight, I just can't envision a scenario where there'd be any different. That program, you know, kids aren't going to want to come there anymore if they're not winning. Um, but they're a young team. They're really young. So I'm not going to press the panic button. But I was, you know, a little surprised how kind of, I mean, really the first time I've really seen Iowa State fans really, I feel, kind of turn on Coach Campbell a little bit, which, uh, hey, you know, year eight for him. And, uh, look, I was a big game to Iowa State and, you know, a big game to Iowa too. And to go one and six against them, uh, especially when some of those have been winnable, I think is definitely a bitter pill to swallow. Oh, man, what a blast. What a blast. What a blast. Yeah, we'll get after it next week too. Lots of good stuff going on. Nothing but winners. Thank you, folks. Have a good one.